and it's yet another episode of the Dice Are Screaming coming oh. at you live. It's recorded, but it's live for us. Yeah. <laughs> I'm Randy. I'm Mike. And together we form the Dice Men, and the yeah. Dice Men are screaming at their dice. Wow. Well, we've little else to do since yeah. we are the single serving microwavable haggis of gaming podcasts. It's a real thing. <laughs> Look it up. For the depressed Scotsman in your life <laughs> to be eaten in the dark while listening to Pink Floyd's Great Gig in the Sky yeah. alone. Yeah. <laughs> uh. Oh, yeah, so it's been a pretty good week. I think spring has finally sprung, at least the first signs of it. Yeah, we, we behold a, a world of uh, non-snowy uh, Michigan. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah, it's about 40 degrees. Everybody's out in their short sleeves and t-shirts and uh, shorts, sandals, you know. Because it is Michigan, and like the, the minute the temperature dips above the actual freezing level, everybody strips naked and runs around in the street. Horrifying, you know. Yeah, it's terrifying, especially if you're averse to, you know, uh, <laughs> really pasty skin. What? It's pointing. It's been, been hidden uh, for months. Under multiple layers of clothing and flannel. Yeah. So we hope that uh, everything's fine on your guys' end. We thank all you fine folks for giving us some shout-outs and applause. And uh, you know who you are. And uh, thank you so much for that. So. Uh, oh, and a big nod to uh, the fine folks at Perfect Storm Comics and Games. I just wanted to throw one in there because we're going to be working with them again soon. Yep. Uh, doing a little live cast. uh, uh just yeah, about a week from now. Yeah. So stay tuned for that. We'll also have a guest host showing up with us. Talk about uh, terrain and dungeon decor. Yes, that's Friday's podcast. Uh, I believe our guest is Mr. Pat Gallagher. Yes. All right. Uh, we're not going to give away all the topic of discussion ahead of time, but uh, it, it should be entertaining. It's going to be our first guest ever. Yeah, so... Yeah, a little high-five action on that. Okay, and also, uh, if you're on Twitter, uh, get yourself over to my page. If you want to win your chance to win a dragon, a mind flare, or a beholder, they're all painted up, ready to go, and I'm giving them away. All you have to do is follow the steps there. It's right on my pinned post. Just uh, give a shout-out to the dice you're screaming in the comments. Like and follow, and you're entered in for your chance to win one of these three fine miniatures. Yes, Throw all the slips of paper into a big hat. Mm-hmm. And draw. And then we'll bury the hat beneath a tree at midnight. We'll dance around it for three hours, counterclockwise. Uh-huh. Only then will we remove the hat. And a tiny pixie will float down from the tree and select exactly one. Well, name. so three. There's so three names. One name for each, each of the miniatures. That's right. <laughs> Seems like a lot of work. Uh, uh, I, somebody, somebody, stop me! Mike's gotten into the magic mushrooms. Oh boy, yeah. Well, maybe that will happen in somebody's mind, but uh, we'll just make some drawings and uh, we'll announce the winners, as well as uh, on Twitter. So uh, get yourself over there. Uh, there's a lot of people competing for it, so you know, get your name in the hat. You know, everybody has a chance to win. So that's my thousandth follower giveaway. So, 
Yeah, all pieces of paper that have been in contact with my hat will be immediately burned. Oh. Uh, <laughs> they, well, can, they cannot be shipped alongside the, the miniature itself, uh, as contact with anything that has been in contact with my hat uh, could deliver a lethal dose of nicotine to the accidental recipient. Ah, well, that's so. a good advice. So, all right, so tonight's topic it's is my a short one. It's my version of uh, blowfish venom. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, we're going to have a short topic tonight. Oh, yeah, just a very, very short conversation. Yeah. But it's two of them. Yeah, two short conversations that, that you know, stacked together almost equal one regular-sized conversation. Right. That's uh, right. We're talking about halflings and gnomes in D&D and its related additions. Yes, then and now, gnomes and halflings, beginning to end. Yeah, so starting at the beginning, of course... Halflings, or as they were called back in the original edition, hobbits. Yes, or, when they weren't even kidding about the fact that, like, oh, we seriously love Tolkien. Uh, so these are hobbits. We're going to have hobbits in our game now. Uh, however, for, you know, purely legal reasons, uh, and because of a abiding respect between the two camps, the mm-hmm. Tolkien estate and uh, TSR, Everybody stayed nice and neutral and just came to a very polite agreement that D&D would have halflings. Uh, no yeah. bad blood. Nope. You know, it was it was pretty well understood that this was a labor of love. Yep, and uh, gnomes would come later. Um, they would come in the Blackmore supplement uh, and eventually would uh, join the ranks of the official AD&D races in the Player's Handbook. Uh, they would not make the transition to... The basic D&D, however. No, that uh, was not available in the most basic uh, set, no. the basic expert combo. Yeah, it was always dwarves as a class, elves as a class, halflings as a class, you know. Which was pretty cool, I thought. Yeah, but, uh, you know, they're intrinsic part, just as much as elves and dwarves are, but they kind of sometimes get mixed together because, well, you know, they're both little short races and they do short race things, but... There's a lot of mythology in it. Now, halflings are, of course, owed primarily to Tolkien. There's some, uh, the little folk and other such things, there's some reference to them. And uh, other games like Tunnels and Trolls would have leprechauns and pixie fairies and things like that. But, you know, it was D&D that kept it pretty uh, much to the core of the Tolkien mythos. And so... Haplings, you know, ever the doughty and stout folk who were resistant to magic and poisons and all that, were a looked-upon race mostly for rogues and thieves. Oh, boy. And they are just, uh, even as they were first introduced, they just really made uh, expert burglars, you know, as intended. As intended. Uh, Even uh, if they... (laughs) <laughs> protested greatly. I have never burgled a thing in my life. Uh, You're good at it, so get going. Yeah, get on it. Uh, <laughs> that treasure's not going to burgle itself. Yeah, and as the additions uh, went on, uh, they've seen changes, but uh, we're just going to talk about the core part first, and uh, both races uh, primarily were known as, you know, as many of the demi-human races initially, you know, they were primarily rogues. You know, a lot of them uh, had it. Uh, the gnomes got uh, kind of cast 
early on as illusionists, so they were kind of like the wee folk who kind of were tricksters. Yeah, the uh, closest thing to a dwarf that could sling a spell or two. Yeah. And a little touch of gnomish uh, lore is a little piece of, you know, Western European, uh, you know, the gnomish... uh, you know, we, we have the cutesy lawn garden gnome type things, but uh, there are widely varying versions yeah. of gnomes throughout uh, European mythos. Uh, some of them, you know, dwelling in caves and, you know, only coming out at night and, you know, crafting beautiful things from the things of the earth. I, they're, they're just a lot of... But magic and an affinity for it is tied to gnomes in a way that not so much for the dwarves. Right, and you know, even though dwarves are renowned for their craftsmanship and their ability to make uh, great, powerful magic items, gnomes, you know, uh, primarily through the deities and demigods, Garl, Glitter Gold, and some of their follow-ups, uh, they were also very t- closely tied with the animals of burrowing animals and other animals of the earth, like badgers and weasels. And yeah, much more surface level. Yeah, know, not the just deepest dwelling, but. Down in the hills. Yep, so uh, gnomes, you know, had a, a specific affinity with small burrowing animals and critters. And, uh, you know, they kind of played a part. And they were different than dwarves. A lot of people claim that gnomes are just kind of like, well, they're shorter dwarves. You know, well, okay, fair enough. But uh, at the same time, they're, that's kind of the Germanic mythology mix-up of between dwarves and uh, gnomes. But... They have a very diverse background in mythology, but uh, it was halflings that first gave us the idea of, you know, the little specialized burglar with, you know, maybe a couple levels of fighter, multi-class, and that when uh, the AD&D game fully got underway. They also had a little bit of druidism. Well, uh, you get around to that third edition, and honestly... Here's a couple of things that the later editions did right by everybody, uh, which was making it possible to uh, use weapons based on finesse, which was uh, using the dexterity attribute instead of raw strength, Mm -hmm. Uh, precision, uh, delicacy, things like that. And all of a sudden... Uh, that comparatively uh, still very dangerous rogue with a short sword, all of a sudden they are a menace. Yeah. And and they were able to carry their weight as, uh, you know, flanking fighters in a combat. Uh, If you've got a halfling off to your side uh, while your tank goes up and engages... Woe betide the foe that suddenly finds those short people, you know, just creeping around the backside. Oh, oh, my kidney! Oh, well, yeah, it's a and thing of beauty. Also, with uh, first edition, before we get into the thirds uh, of it, first and second edition, also uh, with the addition of Dragonlance into the AD and D kind of lore or mythos, if you want to call it that, I guess they uh, changed halflings a little bit to make them unique and kinder. Uh, made their first appearance, and the Kender were basically kleptomaniacs who were completely fearless, who were just into everything. Yeah, it like a toddler without the Ritalin. Yeah, just to get you know, leaving a hand grenade in a room with a toddler. Uh, the Kender were 
uh, an interesting riff on the halfling concept. Uh, With their hoop pack. You know, they just, uh, they're, they're not mentally able to embrace the idea of being terrified of much of anything. Uh, yeah. Consequences just do not sink in on them. Uh, yeah, and then uh, the gnomes were uh, kind of reskinned a little bit for the dragonites becoming tinkerers who would tinker with things until they didn't work. Yeah, and uh, despite that, I, I've got to say that's kind of the origin point for the Tinker Gnome concept, uh, which has lingered ever since. So you got to give a little nod to Dragonlance, the idea oh, yeah. of gnomes uh, being more interested in uh, mechanical, uh, chemical, and other things, alchemy-related, uh, has really carried over. I mean, it, it never mm -hmm. really went away, but that was the origin point. It, you know, in the first, in the very first publications of the gnome, there was no indication that they were tinkerers uh, who liked to, you know, develop machines and chemicals and things like that. No, that was, that was all later edition. That was all Dragonlance era, and then after. Uh, and once that Pandora's box was opened, it's never really been closed. No, and also the uh, first edition AD and D went a little further with the token. And made like you had three sub races of halflings. You had your tall fellow. Oh, and the harefoot. And the hardfoot, yeah. And then the stout halfling, you know, Sam, Mary, Pippin, Proto. You know, your typical ones were the hardfoot or the harefoots. And then, of course, the tall fellows having somewhat different uh, racial abilities than typical uh, halflings, more arboreal or woody, woodsy. And then the uh, stouts being a little bit more. Builders and uh, burrowers and tunnel makers, which made them great tunnel rats for those long ex dungeon expeditions next to dwarves. Oh, true. Well, honestly, the hapling uh, and gnome characters do carry themselves well in almost any scenario. I mean, yeah, underground. The, the, the gnome's uh, underground abilities uh, parallel that of the dwarf. So, yeah, and they also included the Snurveblin, which now, was... Yes, first edition, uh, not so much, but uh, what was it? By the time the Unearthed Arcana had come out, yep, Unearthed Arcana, yeah. the Deep Gnome, the oh, Snurf yeah. Neblin, uh, all of a sudden you had a offshoot opportunity for a gnome variant uh, with some radically different powers. Yeah, summoning Earth Elementals. Uh, well, yeah, that mm -hmm. <laughs> right out of the gate. Uh, there's one you want to keep a lid on as a DM, you know, yeah. until they're higher level. Yeah, but uh, that, you know, that's how they evolved in the first editions, and then uh, later, the second and uh, third would tear, take them in new directions, and of course, uh, there was kind of a mismatch, uh, mix mash of uh, genres. They kind of took a little bit of the Kender and mixed it with the Halfling, the Lightfoot, and all that, for the Forgotten Realms and some of the other stuff, but... Uh, they began to distance themselves from the more token-esque roots and try to grow them into their own characters and races that were kind of independent. And, uh, you know, along comes some other uh, campaigns like uh, Dark Sun, which made them cannibal halflings. Ooh, they like to eat. Oh, boy. Yeah, they took that in a dark direction. It's just like, yeah, the, the non-stop appetite to the halfling is a thing to be feared. <laughs> <laughs> they invited you for dinner. Oh, 
Really? They're nice folk. Yeah. yeah. But you're on the main course. Yeah. yeah. You are on the menu. So is everything else and everyone else. It's uh, the Donner party all over again. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, they went in a dark direction. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and uh, Pathfinder is, uh, you know, uh, maintained many of the same traditions uh, for haplings and gnomes. Yeah, pretty much from the standard uh, third edition. Like, they still... Your gnome is uh, typically strongest with illusion magic, but can be any wizard or sorceress background. Yeah, I played a gnomish bard a while ago that uh, in Pathfinder that used finesse uh, for weaponry, and I found it to be extremely effective. Gotten a bar brawl with an ogre, and by the time it was round two, it just had reached the point of egregious wrong. I just yeah. What I did to that ogre does not bear repeating. Yes, uh, four crits later, and it's yeah hobbling around begging for the little mean man to stop stabbing me. Yeah, that that was not pretty. But no, they can be effective combatants, especially in the newer editions. Uh, so I I would not encourage people to shy away from them. You know. Uh, yeah, it kind of to really bring uh, a halfling fighter into the game, you did have to multi-class. You did definitely have to be like, hey, get a couple levels of rogue in there, yeah. back it up with a couple of levels of fighter, and keep moving back and forth. And sooner or later, you develop a combo that has you know a goodly number of thieving abilities and that horrific flanking bonus. Uh, yeah, for the backstab. Oh. Yeah, that backstab damage. Uh, tied into weapons backed up by fighter level skill and uh, basic attack bonus. So maybe not as ferocious as a frontline fighter in terms of raw hit points and like right out of the gate damage. But if you play your cards right, even at a slightly lower average level, uh, combining fighter power with uh, roguish backstab is a fabulous combo. And, you know, the other thing is, is that one of the penalties applied to all the bonuses they get of hiding and stealth and also a lot of their skills and innate resistances is the fact that they're in a world that's not really designed for them. You know, there's a lot of bigger races. Even dwarves who are shorter still don't have much of a problem getting around or navigating places or you know, pulling up a stool or hitching themselves up to a bench. Yeah, I did not mind the level caps very much on the demi-human races. Because the way I saw it as a player at the time, you got a lot of bang for your buck coming out of the gate at level mm -hmm. one. Okay, those resistances, those saving throw bonuses, if you want to hedge your bet in a brand new campaign, okay, say, for instance, you're going retro and you're playing old first edition. Oh, yeah. Or even, you know... Second edition with some modest limits. Yeah. Uh, if you want to hedge your bet, be extremely useful to your party, have a strong chance of survival, and a wide variety of abilities that you can bring to the table, play one of the demi-humans. Mm -hmm. And I, I've spoken this way of dwarves and elves, but uh, also, same is true of gnomes and haplings. If you just find the right niche... Uh, in your party makeup, uh, you can do remarkable things 
and they make extremely satisfying characters with a high rate of survival, which was another key factor for me uh, after <laughs> for a couple of human illusionists that bit the dust before making it, you know, like none of them made it to level five. Uh, and then I started tanking for a long period of time. And it wasn't until much later that I started really getting the, the joy of the demi-humans, uh, playing dwarven clerics and elven rogues and, you know, happling yeah. fighter-thief combos and uh, gnomish bard, you know, just, just oddball stuff started being a lot more appealing when I got the hang of making the fullest use of all of those extra abilities. Yeah, and, you know, first edition and second edition, you were pretty heavily loaded right out the gate. You know, you did start to fall behind later, but right out the gate, you were a lot more powerful than just a human fighter if you were a gnome fighter illusionist. You know, the armor limit, yeah, okay, that does. they don't get like the elves do where they can wear armor and cast spells. But, uh, you know, still, just saying, just that fighter hit point bonus and the also their high constitution, their sturdy little score. Yeah. Some SOBs, and they can take a lot of punishment, and they have a lot of saving throw uh, resistances. Even if the Illusionist School isn't as powerful, cunningly played, and also intrinsically thought out with things like Phantom Armor. Also, yes. Uh, right using, off the bat. Using available spells to shore up your armor class, which is in slight deficit. Uh, but if you're doing a Deep Illusionist split. Oh, well, yeah. Probably the most devious character combination. Yeah, your dex bonus is really your base armor class yep. coming out of the gate. Uh, now, getting your paws on some items of protection or uh, bracers of defense, those really start to move you into the same realm as other player characters for armor class options. Uh, but if you're playing a rogue, it's no real harm to hang back, stick to the shadows... Uh, combine that beautiful spell invisibility. Which, uh, you know, unlike a straight line rogue, uh, having access to that very early on in a solutionist is a godsend. It's just, you know, oft abused as well it should be. Uh, you know, there are some deficits that, that have to be addressed, and that's your opportunity to make up for them. Abuse it. <laughs> Use it. Abuse it. Wear it out. Yeah. Um, there is a lot of things about uh, people have against gnomes. They don't feel, some people feel that they don't uh, add anything to the campaign. They're just another short race. And uh, halflings are kind of, as I was talking about, uh, both the races share their same size category. The world's not really designed for them. But uh, one of my better gnome experiences it was a gnome cavalier riding a mountain goat. And, uh, you're playing in a Pathfinder campaign. I was a one shot, and boy, did that little cavalier just rock! Riding a, a, a little a mountain goat. Wow! Yep, charging across, jumping across pits with it. My trained war goat. Yep. I forget what its name was, but uh, it had a whole name for it. And a battle cry, but hey, you know, Dome Cavalier. Oh, bravo! That's that, that was a fun. Uh, character and uh, not limited, you know, normally Cavaliers, you know, they can't bring their big old mount, honking mounts in the middle of the dungeon because, you know, the quarters are small. And dismounting, you know, does kind of take away from your massive charge bonus, but, uh, <coughs> you know, 
here you go, a war, halfling on a war pony or a war dog in the dungeon. You know, <laughs> Cavalier in the same way can be used quite effectively as well as... Uh, it even. does offer opportunities for mounted combat in narrower spaces. That yeah, is an interesting halfling, perspective. Uh, another halfling paladin who could summon his mount. Oh, what was it? War dog. Oh. Slush okay. award, half slush award on. Interesting. Yep. Named Fido, spelled P H Y D E U X. Like Fido Records? Mm hmm. So, you know, uh, never sell halflings or gnomes short. Ah. Uh, all right. So that was a terrible one. Um, yeah. Don't, don't give them a short shrift in your campaign. Yeah. Make sure that, you know, if you don't like gnomes, look at like what Greyhawk did with gnomes. Um, if you looked at Lost Caverns of Sojacans, the gnome enclave there is one of the few safe places you have right near the caverns. And they went into quite a bit of detail about what the gnomes knew, and even they knew things about like the Lost Temple of Thrasduan, you know, as you were there, if you played that side one. It was one of your module lead-in moments. Yeah, the gnomes uh, had a lot of lore in the area. And, uh, you know, they were pretty much uh, very doughty and uh, almost inassailable in their small valley. Oh, yeah, they were they were dug in like ticks. Yeah. You, so, you know, this was not an encampment that you just roused for the fun of it. Uh, if you want, you're, you're better off negotiating a nice safe space mm -hmm. to back out to, because cavern, Lost Caverns of Sacanth they are not a joke. No. Uh, it's one of the great money. You need oh, to move man. in. We should do a session where we pick apart that one. We will. Okay. Because that is, it is just one of the great dungeon ecology moments where, mm -hmm. like, it's just a place full of weird, horrible stuff. Yeah, it was kind of like the intro to D&D uh, &D 1.5. It was kind of like that transition moment with a new monster manual and a lot of other oh, and it, additional it material. It came with a booklet for all the crazy monsters they had packed into it. Yeah, it was almost like an essential upgrade before the Monster Manual, too. But Yeah, it just nothing but raw creativity at work in there. It was a great module. But, but the World of Greyhawk went out of its way to uh, put gnomes as a major player on the world stage. That uh, They may, of course, been short, but they were often contributed to a lot of victories against evil. Um, they were often allies of humans and elves, unlike the dwarves who were more stay-away and more stoic. Little standoffish, more inclined to stick to their mountain realms, uh, you know. But the gnomes were highly social uh, and could be found adjacent to, like, major communities of humans, you know. Yeah, as well as elves and, uh, you know, and dwarves as well. They got along with almost everybody, and that's a big thing that uh, should be taken in there. So Gnomes and other burrowing mammals. That's right, other vermin. <laughs> Besides pun, uh, good use for punting, gnomes actually play a good role in your campaign as the kind of social creatures where elves are kind of aloof and removed from it all, and dwarves are kind of clannish and taciturn. Gnomes are a little bit more social, and much like halflings, uh, they also present a kind of in-between several of the races. Gregarious and interested in trade, uh, which lends itself to lots of opportunities. Oh, yeah. You know, they pulled a lot of nice things out of those hills. Dwarves like gold, and gnomes like gems. Yeah. And halflings like food. And so your halflings, although they're typically in the token kind of cast, are more about home and comforts and things of that nature. You know, halflings, uh, you can take them out of the Shire 
and of course bring them to Mordor, they will return back to the Shire again and again. But they fight for things, just like in Token, uh, for permanence, for safety, and for others. Being uh, somewhat, a little bit more selfless than some of the other uh, human races, humanoid races, they do uh, take a stand when they are pressed. So you can never count on a halfling. No, don't underestimate them. Uh, size isn't everything. Those... Remember the uh, picture, the illustration in uh, the expert book of the human fighter kind of going, you know, kneeling down to talk to a halfling and he's standing there with his hand on his sword and giving him a stern look like, don't talk to me like that. I always remember that as the key point of being a half, high-level halfling sheriff. You know, that you were not... Just because you were short didn't mean you didn't have a whole bunch of hit points and a high constitution. Oh, yeah, and... Tactics are everything. Uh, you know, picking the ground that you can win on is always essential. Uh, just think a little differently when you play one of the demi-human races. Yeah. Just take yourself out of your usual space and, you know, think about how to make use of your abilities tactically. Yep, and use your size to advantage. Just because the world's a little bigger than most of the comforts you're used to, or features you're used to, there are small things and small places that larger uh, races can't go to easily, and using those as your main battleground spots can give you a lot of advantage in combat as well as exploration. No, that, indeed, they've got uh, they've got a lot of flexibility. I always liked, uh, in the case of rogue characters, making a little bit of use of acrobatics mm -hmm. uh, appropriately uh, in a tactical sense because. Having that fast movement ability, you know, for, for a shorter person that maybe you can't cover a lot of ground as quickly in a dead run, but a lot of swift movement and the appropriate use of feats, and yeah. you really own a cramped battleground. Well, I'm tumbling and jumping. Yeah. Those you can make up for those small movement areas, yeah. And that's a good point, too, is that when you play those races, the dexterity is much higher than it is on others. So use that to your advantage if you're a player, but as a DM, always leave some room for gnomes and halflings. They don't take up much. Haha. In your campaign world, and uh, you know, it'll become a richer place. Also, the other thing I wanted to kind of end up on the tactical note is the one thing about uh, Dungeons and Dragons particularly, RuneQuest had this a little bit too with some of their smaller races, but Dungeons and Dragons um, you not only had just your tall races, you know, man-sized elves and even dwarves who are shorter, but you also had, with the inclusion of halflings and then gnomes, you did have a size difference. And, you know, successful party did include the smaller characters for those hard-to-reach places, you know, those small tunnels and twisting uh, paths that they could easily navigate and find a safe way through. Also, yes, great scouting opportunities, because... If your DM, and I'm, I'm not saying all DMs are this evil, but I am, <laughs> uh, you know, a unkind DM, <laughs> such as myself, may occasionally put player characters in a position where they're just too big to get where they want to go. Uh, you know, that, that bolt hole where the treasure has been tucked, mm -hmm. uh, you know. They don't know. 
Maybe the wizard is using the reverse of an enlarged spell and just shrinking himself down, walking in there, dragging a bag, and dropping the loot in a little tiny room. Oh. <laughs> oh, and of course that leaves the player characters without a way to get to it. Right. Oh. Well, you know, maybe the halfling or the gnome can squeeze their way in if they ditch most of their gear. But uh, all of a sudden, large size is not an advantage. It's right. a disadvantage. And that's when uh, those demi-human races are suddenly valuable all over again. Yep, and it was primarily through the old school that almost every party that I was with, they would insist on finding a halfling or gnome, somebody to play one, just in case you know, a small passageway came up. And, of course, they were a lot more limited on classes, but nowadays, you know, it's still a good idea. And, uh, you know, whether or not you're feeling particularly feisty, uh, always trying out a gnome monk, or excuse me, halfling monk, Mm. And uses finesse and uh, combat maneuvers like trip attacks. Oh, jeez, that is fiendish. Yeah, uh, can be really good too. But uh, anyway, I think we've covered these topics pretty well. We had a little fun with uh, the jokes about the size, but uh, you know, just it goes to show you that the whole ethos of the game was never count somebody on their appearances. Yeah, big things can come in little packages. Right, and that's a lesson I think we can leave everybody off with. That's a good one. Yeah. All right. So with that, uh, we're going to bid you adieu as we wind down here. Just remember that if you have any comments, questions, concerns, or any topics you think we should be talking about or where we messed up, feel free to let us know. Either at uh, Death Hand Gaming at Twitter. You can get hold of me there. That's D-E-T-H Gaming. And... Oh, Magi Box at Twitter. Yep. Or go to our Geister Screaming Facebook page and leave us a message. Yes. And... Occasionally, pop in at our Instagram, run by the amazing Say Say Patton. Yeah, my wife, and uh, she's making a goblin tonight, so... Oh. Oh, that's right. Yeah, well, I saw the beginnings of that, didn't I? Yeah. So, uh, just uh, go over there, check that out as well. She may have a surprise or two for you there as she creates stuff. Crafty Dragon, Sarah. And uh, so we're going to go and uh, log off here with this rousing round of May the, the Dice. dice. Always, Always roll in your, your favor. favor. We're out. See ya. <laughs>